0: Hello, I'm James Woodcock from pixelrefresh.com and today I have with me in Game & Gadget podcast number 28, co-host, co-founder, co-everything, Tony Warriner, co-founder of Revolution Software and I'm sure many other things. How are you, Tony? Uh, Not bad, not bad. Thanks for uh, having me. Absolute pleasure. And of course, Aaron Fothergill now a regular on the Game & Gadget podcast. Welcome again to the show, Aaron. Yeah,
1: thanks. Glad to be back.
0: So I thought I'd kick us off um, with, I watched a YouTube video recently, which was talking a little bit about the Atari Jaguar. And oh dear. Yes. Well, <laughs> it was kind of the success and failure of the Atari Jaguar, and the success section was rather short, <laughs> but still... I forget who did the video, so I'm doing so- Sorry, I do forget who that was. But in terms of the console itself, it was a rather obscure time for consoles when everyone racing for the number of bits to advertise how powerful it was. So when the 3DO Interactive was around, that was the 32-bit. That was just after the 16-bit era of the Mega Drives and the Super Nintendos. And then Atari came along and went, well, hold on a minute. We have the 64-bit Atari Jaguar. Of course, big fanfare, lots of little previews, a very, very strange looking controller with a keypad and sort of overlays that will go over the keypad, which reminds me very much of my Intellivision, which came out in 1979 originally, but regardless... This was in 19, I think it was 1993, if you're in America, and about 1994 in EU. But the big thing about 64 bit, what intrigued me of the whole video, regardless of the success and failures of the console, was this one fact alone. They had two very powerful processors in it called Tom and Jerry, which were the sort of affectionate nicknames for them. But they also included a Motorola 68,000, which would have been in the Mega Drive and many, many other devices of that era. Not on the Mega Drive, it was one of the main CPUs and then it would have been offset by other things. For the Jaguar, I think it was meant just as a bridge and it was meant to be a Tom and Jerry chips that were pulling all the heavy weight and providing the fancy graphics and audio, etc., cetera, et cetera. However... Not all developers found the Jaguar that easy to develop for. So they thought, oh, forget these other chips. I'll just program for the Motorola 68000. So unfortunately, there was quite a number of titles that certainly didn't push the Jaguar. This reminds me very much of the early days of the Sega Saturn, folks. Didn't push it very hard. And of course, that first six months to a year is absolutely crucial for any console, particularly for boasting your 64-bit power. To prove that you're dominant compared to the rest. And unfortunately, maybe with the exception of a few games, Alien, I think would have been, uh, which is ironic, me and Tony have been talking about aliens on another subject earlier. That was one of the few games that really pushed the system. But it's really hard to find many others on it that really did that. And if you're trying to say, hey, here's Atari, we've done 64-bit, you need those games. It's all about the games. Ooh. And as someone who's actually experienced the Jaguar, and what are your memories of the Jaguar? I mean, was it that much of a pain to develop for? I mean, was there power there to be had?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I I jumped in on it. It's been going a year or so in the U, in the UK by the time I jumped in, and I joined Electric Spectacle at the time, who'd already. Been working on the Demolition Man board. And the, there was lots and lots of issues with, I think, kind of working with Atari on it. The, the, it was actually a 68020 variant. And it was sort of a budget variant of the 68020. And one of the issues we hit partway through working on, I think, I think it was while we were working on Demolition Man, and we hit this one. That, one of the instructions on on the 68K instruction set didn't actually work. It was an actual hardware fault where this particular variant of an instruction, it was like an RTS or something that was just, if it was in this particular scenario, did not work. And and it's like we were getting constant bugs coming up with this particular bit of code that just would not run. I'm literally hand-stepping through it. And it's like... This should work. There is no way this should fail. You know, and the debugger is saying, but so I, I went back to my really old school techniques so of let's have a look at the hex and see what it's actually chucking out from the compiler. And the compiler's doing it right. That is the right code. We're checking uh, re- converting the hex back into the assembly. Nope, that is the right code. Got onto Atari and said, hang on a minute, there's something really weird going on. And they're checking, yeah, it's buggered. there's 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 a we have a problem it's that it's a like one in a million using that instruction in that particular combination it seems to fail so yeah it was weird so there's little bits like that that were off-putting the tools were awkward because you're basically using um not an st what was the Ah, the post st st forgot what was called now were a oh, falcon that was it you were using a falcon as your your dev kit kind of thing for it at one point
0: that was the you atari just, falcon wasn't it
1: yeah that's it yeah and and you had i i, I mostly ended up working on the dsp side of it because that was actually rather nice and that was proper parallel coding for parallel processing you know you, you actually had two you had two simultaneous columns of assembly language that you actually could interleave. So rather than modern day threading stuff where you write your threads and you lock, and, and the idea is that everything's interchanging between your threads, but you're still writing them as a single column of code on this one, you actually can write two columns of code that are running parallel. <laughs> and
2: That's a bit, that's a bit tricky, isn't it?
1: It was a bit wacky and I loved it, <laughs> but yeah, I, the, the, the thing was, I mean, my primary task on that particular project, it was port from the 3DO version that uh, Virgin had released. And Virgin gave us all, just dumped all the stuff on us and said, right, the, the original team's gone. Please port this to the Jaguar. And by the time I joined, they'd been working on it for quite a while. And I got tasked with tra- uh, getting the, the CD we had of all the audio, uh, of all the, all the voiceover audio and everything, into a format we could use. And it, they'd use some weird custom format. And okay, fair enough. And it took me a while, but I reverse engineered it, and it was all in Japanese. They hadn't actually sent us all all the voice stuff. They'd just sent us the Japanese version, which meant, fortunately, we were able to cancel the project because we just didn't want to work on it anymore.
0: <laughs> oh man! And I, I and I guess back in those days, you know, there was no system updates that would be delivered via you know now we would have over the well, air updates for software which might have helped and provided some sort of base yeah. to get around. I mean the it. problem
1: the problem was that the source material we were given from Virgin to write the game basically it just wasn't there they they didn't have any more in they didn't actually have the other CDs of uh, uh, voice uh, material they'd lost them. Oh dear. And um yeah and, and as per the well. contract yeah, the contract was that we, we were supposed to be given all the material to write to, to write the port and we weren't, so we had a nice out on that one. <laughs> so um,
0: yeah. So when you're talking about the whole sort of you've got your two columns and they're running simultaneously, I mean, I guess the modern equivalent would be like threading in the CPU, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, Where it's yeah. not doing it exactly the same way, but you're getting a, a perfect visualization of it. I'm doing two things at once, aren't I? Clever. Look at me.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I it I it, 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 mean, basically, with with multi-threading nowadays, it is basically doing that. But you don't visualize it at that because, of course, we're doing more than two threads, so it gets we get impossible to try and. Work out where your sixteen different threads are running in parallel and and so on you know for every single thing um I mean, it was bad enough on the xbox three sixty when we had six of them you know but the the um just back when you've got just two that are very definitely running in parallel, you could actually manually do everything on that, and it was like actually, this is quite fun,
0: <laughs> and did you find that really? more powerful than ever dealing with anything you had in the past. Did you feel like you could do more things simultaneously and then had more control over what was if happening? I, had,
1: I think if I had time to really play with it and develop tools for it, then yes. But I think that was the classic problem, that they were so focused on making it powerful, they didn't actually focus on making tools for it. So there were some tools, but they weren't brilliant. Uh, tool, tools make everything in game dev. It's why, it's why we all use Unity or, or, or Unreal, you know, or whatever other game. Because you can either spend your time writing game tools, or you can actually spend your time writing a game. And I'm I'm someone who kind of has done both in my time, but I would rather, if, as long as the tools are good, I would rather write the game. And even then, you end up still end up writing custom tools. Yeah,
2: you know. but you do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and if you are doing your own engine and doing everything from scratch, what you find is over time you get better because the tools you've built up to do your own stuff become a useful toolkit, and you, and you spend less time trying to work out how to do that and just more time messing around on the actual game itself. I
2: was just going to ask, uh, the, the Motorola, C, the CPU was two, was two the two threads was, was the 68,000, yeah.
1: No, no, the two threads was on the DSP the yeah the, the um I, can't, I don't know which with which, which whether it was tom or jerry i didn't i didn't remember at the time but um okay. basically you had you had the 68k as your kind of main processor and yeah everyone was just using that for the grunt of the game especially if it was a port because you were porting from something else that was running that way anyway and then you're handing off to to the graphics chip and the sound chip but the the sound chip was powerful enough to be used for other things as well it wasn't just a you know, it was a it was a very good DSP, but I think
2: for, for the time. But you're saying pe- people weren't using the blitter because it was too much trouble to learn it, so they were just using the processor. Oh,
1: they were using the they were using the blitter, but the problem is, as with anything like that, if you're not doing something that the blitter is specifically designed for, like chucking lots of sprites at the screen, you kind of can't use it. So, for instance, if you're doing yeah. a two and a half D, you know, uh, Wolkenstein typing, type thing, like which was what the um, what was going on on with De- uh, Demolition Man? You are going through these semi, you know, fake three D environment. It didn't. I don't think that we ended up. U- we were using the Blitzer properly for that because it wasn't that practical. Well, that was. Yeah. Um, I think mostly Andrew was designing that system. He was the the, the coder most on that.
2: Yeah. Well, the Motorola's were good chips though. I mean, when um, we, you know, we never had any in our stuff that we did that was 68,000, It was always. There's always plenty of CPU, you know. I mean, I, I yeah. always liked the ST because there's no blitters to, to screw around with. You know, it was, just, it was just like, here's the CPU, here's the video RAM, off you go, you know. That's, yeah. that's my kind of machine.
1: Yeah. Again, it, it gets back to the whole, you can focus on writing the game part versus that. oh, isn't this cool kind of, oh, hang on, I've got to spend a day getting this thing up and running, you know, kind of thing once you've got blitter chips. And again, a custom chip that does cool things is great until you try and do something that it isn't designed for. And that's where I think actually the audio DSP on the Jaguar, because it was really just a digital signal processor, it, it could do a lot more really, because it was a generic DSP. You know, it did a lot of sound stuff, but potentially you could throw some maths at it and go away and do it like like we do graphics cards nowadays. You know, with
2: your GPUs potentially yeah yeah
0: it's funny isn't it our over console history and indeed computer history if we look at something like the commodore 64 and the 128 the 128 came along and it was a little it was quite a bit more powerful than the 64 in some ways but because it was backwards compatible with the 64 developers were like "What? there's a massive market for commodore 64 why target the faster machine we'll just put 64 slash 128 on the cassette and it'll be fine. <laughs> and that, well, and, that, and I can understand as a developer creating these games because I've been using the 64 for these number of years. Maybe I don't want to touch the new platform yet. They haven't got a big enough user base. So you, you're hoping, as the owner of the machine, I'm going to get the latest and greatest and all these games are going to come out optimized for this machine. But the reality, the economics of it don't work out that way so often.
1: Ooh. And you'll notice that uh, with more modern consoles, there's, while some of them are slightly backwards compatible, it's kind of, even, it, it, anything new on it is it, it's very much made as a, no, this is not going to be completely backwards compatible. So you have to write new games for it. And likewise, as a person buying it, you're expecting new games for it. You're not, you know, Although, again, half, half the stuff you end up playing on it. It t- tends to be uh, retro titles or your older games from your back catalogue, anyway. So yeah, I, it's. it's a, I mean, it, it's back to the old um, numbers versus usefulness thing, uh, and this is across many, many things have been done like this. But it's basically all that bunch going on. Oh, it's sixty-four bit, it's sixteen bit, and so on. Nintendo are there just going? It's a new Zelda game.
0: Woo! yeah sold
1: and people exactly and and people are more like you go i can see why i want that because that game looks fun versus this has lots of large numbers on it
0: (laughs) yeah nintendo for a very long time were just look at all these accessories that comes with it to give you a new gameplay experience rather than this is Mm. a 12 teraflop powered machine they don't go down that line at all it's all about the accessories and the gameplay mechanics that you could get with this yeah the the main slip up of nintendo was of course the wii u which unfortunately decided to call the wii again so everyone thought well it's a wii i've got a wii why do i need the wii u what's different if they'd have called it a different name who knows what might have happened with that console
1: then again, given Nintendo's naming standards at the time, they could have called it the Pooh and then it would have been even worse. But...
0: Well I must admit, when they called it the Nintendo Wii, because I think it was wasn't it codenamed the Revolution or something at the time. And then all of a sudden the announcement came and we have got the Nintendo Wii. And <laughs> We? Are we kidding? Are we really going with this? Sure, that they've tested the translations in other markets to understand Wii means something else here. In English, uh, but no, they went with Wii, and you know, for all its mocking, it sold phenomenally well with its yeah. bundled game. And probably most people didn't buy any other games, they just played Wii Sports, and that was it. Uh-huh. But still, it did well, regardless of the name. So maybe we could laugh, but maybe if they'd have called it, oh, this is Nintendo Pool, it <laughs> might have sold really well. It,
1: might well, it <laughs> might well, yeah, exactly. It's like basically, it's kind of. Go, go, go with your you know, your original call and run with it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly that. But at least we'd have known yeah. this is a different console. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think
0: so many people were confused. And even uh, I was watching like old news snippets. I've been watching YouTube a lot the last few weeks for some reason. But anyway, I've been watching old news snippets and they're like going into like retailers, and the retailer was advising, "Oh no, you don't need the Wii U. It's just a, it's just a Wii." With the, with a little handheld controller thing you could just get the wii it's the same thing oh yeah the games are compatible anything we use compatible with the wii no (laughs) (laughs) so there was so much confusion it created so um unfortunately again i've never owned a wii u i've uh, seen them in the wild many times which reminds me of another subject tony i'll come on to in a minute i've seen the steam deck in the wild god blimey it's large but anyway so it's a sh- I'd love to own a Wii U one day because there are some titles coming over to the Switch over time. But, you know, the Wii U as a console, coming from the Wii, it was the first high-definition console Nintendo made. So there's a curiosity factor for me there. But it's always getting the controller bit where it mm-hmm. hasn't got loads of scratches on the screen, which is the hardest it was quite bit. quite good, I
2: think, I think, wasn't it? It
0: was certainly powerful. If I remember, if I remember at the time, it was, quite, it was quite good. Was it Was it actually compatible with the Wii? It was backwards compatible with the Wii, but the Wii was certainly not compatible with the Wii U. And that's yeah. where the confusion was.
2: Yeah, well, they shouldn't have made it backwards compatible. We should have given it, as you say, given it a different name and it would have been all right. Yeah. I'll just
0: look, There's keep a an zombie eye out. Nintendo Switch, good, Nintendo it? Poo. Ooh. But what do we think to the Zombie. Switch, which has also sold phenomenally well? I mean, I was quite caught off by that one as well. I thought, okay, it's a handheld, but it's kind of a hybrid because you still plug it into your TV. But as a portable, it's quite, you know, it's not the most comfortable of things. It's not like a, I mean, the 3DS is not the most comfortable console in the world, but it's easier to stick in your pocket and take somewhere. The Switch, you know, it's a, it's a screen with two controllers on the side. The genius bit. If we ignore the breaking stand on the back, the genius bit is the detachable controllers, and then you can like multiplayer with friends around this teeny tiny screen. But if you're a kid, it, it's yeah.
1: great. You can plug the Switch into your telly,
0: though, again, still, can't you? You certainly uh, can. Always, it has a dock, yeah. and you just stick it into the dock, which can scratch the screen if you're not careful. So carefully place your Switch in the dock, and then you're playing up to 1080p gaming. Right, yeah. Because
1: I've, I've been... On the fence of yeah this cup but the thing is it's like it's the switch there's a there's a game on the switch that i would play all the time called rogue aces um which is also on steam so the steam deck might be an actual good option for that one as well but the switch you know there's, there's some nice games is again I'm, I'm a bit i'm a bit random on nintendo games i i kind of some i will i will get like what was the, uh, one of the GameCube, for instance. And there was a couple of nice ones on there. The the Zelda game on GameCube was nice. And I'll play it for ages. And then I'll not touch a Nintendo game again for years. You know, I I don't particularly like Mario. I'm not a big fan of Mario. And one thing I did find is a problem with Mario games is you have to have learnt them historically to play them now. A friend, friend of mine years ago, was playing the uh, the game, game Boy Advance version of one of the Mario games, and she says, um, "How how do I open these green boxes?" And I'm like, "What green boxes?" And she, she described, "Oh, yes, those are pipes." And and she hadn't, because basically, you don't you, you kind of almost assume that you've played a previous Mario game with, with some of them. And so you you recognise you know the, the the fan service thing of this is this you know and it's it's like watching yeah you know, if you were watching the, the latest season of Picard and had never watched Next Generation you'd be like, who the f- are these guys you know <laughs> it's like, yeah. I have no idea who any of these characters are you know <laughs> I'm sure they're quite famous in their own right but I have never seen them before and there is no introduction on who they are and this was the, this is a problem with. You know, with, with a lot of Mario stuff. It's just assumed you know.
0: Well, I think the days of Mario having to rescue the princess on every game is fast becoming a, a problem for political correctness these days. Understandably so. But if you've watched the new Super Mario movie, which is actually, as game tie-ins go, a very good movie, the princess is now kicking backside she's cool. good she is good she don't need rescuing from mario so so she's got i'm going to be intrigued now by the new mario games how they're going to handle that because it's always been oh. the princess going oh, and being carried off and then you'd rescue at the end of the game which is a bit cliche now yeah well,
1: you do you do get eventually you know Past the various levels of the princesses in another castle, you get to the final castle and you find out, you know, she's there, she's there, sat on the throne, having been Bowser all along. She just needed a few days off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I saw a Steam Deck in the wild. I had a coach take me to London for a couple of days. And on the way back, there was a, probably a guy in his early 20s pulled this big thing out of his bag and it was the steam deck and by god i've not seen one in real life yet i've seen them in videos i've seen the comparisons of sizes but until you see this thing in the wild you don't appreciate the size now i'm not saying that size is a problem tony don't worry i think the steam deck concept is a brilliant one but I do worry if I was sat next to him and he turned around too quick, I'd be fearful of my life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I kind of feel that that whole last section should have been done in a Richard Attenborough voice. And now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, coming out from behind the seat, yes, it's a steam deck. <laughs>
0: there it is, mating with a Nintendo 3DS. No, <laughs> but anyway, I mean Tony. Do, We've spoken about Steam Deck a few times in the podcast, but are you still using it as much as you were when you first got it? Is it still garnering your attention? I use mine, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got I've got a switch which is like uh, I don't even know where the power plug is to to charge it up. I mean, uh, I never use the switch now. So Steam Steam Deck for me, yeah, I love it. It's great. I mean, or you just go and look at anything Steam. You go and look and see if it works on the deck, and if it does, that's that's where I play it. So yeah. For me, it's the best the best machine I've got. I use it all the time, and I don't think it's particularly big. <laughs> I think it's just right.
0: So you've it's never been size. worried about turning too quick while using it and uh, attacking poor friendly folk who just happen to be in your proximity. That's never happened. That's. I'm glad maybe to it's hear never
2: left this flat either. So.
0: Oh okay, okay. So maybe cats have had problems, but otherwise the general public has been safe.
2: But look, we've got phones, right? You got phones, and then you need you need something. I mean, phones are pretty big, so you, you, you know, if, you, if you're on a if you're on a bus or something, you, you get a lot out of a phone, can't you? But uh, you know, the next step next step up between a telly and a and a phone is is, is, a, is a Steam
0: a It might be. Why not? Or, oh, there's a there's a new thing. Now, can you remember? Probably about twenty years ago, a folding phone was something maybe you got from Motorola. Cause I remember having my Motorola V3i where it'd flip, and it was very basic. I could just send a text message or do a phone call, and there was uh, was it WAP? Was that that like the most basic? Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, most God, basic yeah. internet you could get, at the slowest speed you could imagine, and it was extremely expensive. Would you like to download a ringtone? Connect to your WAP and it will cost you goodness knows how much and you'll regret it instantly. But still, on your new phone, it was something intriguing to try. But that was folding phones then. But now there's been a big push for folding phones. Samsung's well into it. Motorola have gone now into the good old folding phone because OLED screens now, you can have like a foldable version of an OLED screen. And although you can see the crease, and I think it would annoy me being able to see the crease. It's interesting now that we've got another form factor of phone, which does make me wonder one day what Apple's going to do with this if they even approach it this way. But for the Android among us, and there's a Google Pixel phone with a folding screen as well, it's kind of, here's my phone, it's got the front screen, which is like fairly phone-sized, particularly on the new Google one. And then you open it out and it's more like a seven inch or so tablet. So it does open a lot of questions, but do you guys think you'd ever consider a folding phone?
1: Personally, no. Now I'd have
0: mechanic- thought I'd have thought you'd have been all over this, like thinking, Oh yes, no, I could flip the, it the, open the, and that.
1: I'm not well, I'm not a professional mechanical engineer. I do enough bits of engineering in a lot of the things I do in my spare time to no, that's a, that's a failure point. You know, the crease would more than annoy me. I would see it chemically debonding every time I do that. You know, having said that, I did read an interesting Apple rumor that they might be getting rid of the smallest form factor, the iPhone mini thing they've, they've had, which doesn't really sell that well. and um, And replacing that with a flip phone. Because it makes sense if you want a small phone to have a fold-out screen as your low-end phone. Because it doesn't matter that there's a crease there. The whole point is the convenience of having a small size. Whereas if you want a large screen, you don't really want to mess around with folding it. It's yeah, you, know, you might as well just put it in your pocket. Pockets are getting bigger to cope with phones.
2: Uh, you say that, but, but for ladies they're not. And I think I think, uh, and I hear a lot of this constantly. Uh, the, the problem, the problem with ladies' jeans is the pockets that aren't getting any bigger in yeah. inverse in, in proportion with phones. So I actually think these things, these folding things, when it when it finally works properly, it'll be it'll be used to make phones even smaller. So you'll get a normal size phone, and then you'll fold it in half, and then it will fit into into tiny pockets. And I think that's Ooh. the actual use case for it.
1: But by the time by the time would they actually get it to work reliably to not be a long-term problem, mm-hmm. we're not going to be using screens. So, you know. Oh, gosh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what we are we going to be using? <laughs> Vision Pro. All the oh, way, no. no I mean, yeah, but <laughs> the future, of,
1: not, not, not the big headset on your head, but, but the fact that, you know, you can have a heads-up display in your glasses or something much simpler is more practical for people than staring at a screen. And you know, there's the whole social thing as well of the staring at a screen is starting to be recognised as a bit of an issue, and, and so on. And there's a ultimately screens are not ideal for 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 the best interface, but the problem is the technology isn't there yet to replace them. Ultimately, they're already doing the whole projecting directly onto your eyeball kind of thing. So um, you know. The, the, by the time it gets to Star Trek levels, the fact that it's quite funny because Star Trek they have things like the you know the iPad and and the you know the flip phone and everything like that as a this is the future, and they were ahead of the time in terms of predicting it without realizing it, but actually by the time that comes around, you won't need screens. Yeah, um, it'll either be you know projected directly onto your eyeball or just tap
0: straight into your head. <laughs> oh gosh i mean i love technology but the it's idea of something a, tapping straight into my head or having some kind the, the, of shape yeah, or no. yeah the, the the
1: the um i mean this is you know like black black mirror's latest seasons gone a bit weirdly retro and not actually techno which was on you know the whole th- point of black mirror was the fact that his his a little bit of technology and this is how scary it could be and for some reason other this season they just Went backwards on that, then just went did some retro episodes, but uh, but that's the sort of thing that we, we have. A, you know, you think the social problems of people staring at their screens are scary. Just think what it's going to be like when the data is projected straight into your head.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're just you're just walking around and a big ad suddenly appears in front of your face. Have you? Oh been yeah, in an accident. Oh, yeah. That's not your fault. Go away
1: (laughs) now. I have now because I just tripped over watching your
0: ad. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I just walked into
2: the, just stepped off the curb. Thanks very much.
1: Yeah.
0: So, the Vision Pro, you've brought it up now. We've got to talk about it. It's a $3,500 headset. Now, granted, this is not meant for the mainstream. This is meant for like super keen early adopters, are like all into Apple, have the disposable income. Developers—they're interested in something new—and I use that with some very careful caveats here, because a lot of what they're doing isn't new. Go on. It's a dev kit, isn't it? Yeah, it's It's, a very. It's not just that;
1: it's the word "pro" at the end is a very important bit here. Nothing individually on it is new. The combination of all of them together in that way with the software, everything tied in—it's classic Apple stuff. Nothing individually is new, but the whole thing packaged together is new, and it's kind of done properly. And as a lot of people go, oh, but you, yeah, it's not going to be great for playing games because of this, and it's not going to be great for VR games because of this. Yeah, because that's not what it's for. And the pro bit is the telling bit. They will sell every single one they can make um, because you'll have Hollywood producers. Uh, and so on can visualize i mean I, I, there's a, a really great uh app called previous pro that i i helped on a few years ago it's it's done by uh i think they stopped calling themselves second verse now but basically it's the guys who were uh, were running Freeverse, uh which published us years ago and what previous pro does is lets you on your iphone um make your 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 uh, script, you, you, your, your uh, what's it called, the uh, storyboard for your for your film, which is normally a very time consuming task for making a proper film, it's writing all the storyboard and developing it. And it lets you make it up in 3D and in fact use AR to actually walk through a scene uh, and stuff like that and, and say, oh, well, I, you know, you know, basically Mr. Hanks needs to be over there and, you know, Winona Ryder should be placed there. And this is where we'll have the camera and it will be this particular view. And they're already looking at the you know, things like the, the Vision you know, the the, the um, thingy pro and, and, and going, Yeah, imagine that with a Hollywood producer who just can literally plan his film and be already walking through the set before the film even goes into any sort of
0: production. But you what know. does the Vision Pro do in that scenario that some of the other VR headsets don't do?
1: It does it without getting in your way and you're not having to waggle adapters around.
0: You know That's funny, isn't it, from Mr Dongle Apple, isn't it? <laughs> we don't need well, all these again, adapters.
1: Uh, well, again, most of the time you don't need them unless you're using retro technology with them. Ooh.
0: That was always the thing with dongles. Yes, that's, well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's true, yeah. But retro I mean, was yeah. also the current technology of the time. <laughs> they were pushing us <laughs> far ahead. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, okay, it's, it's, it's like I mean, the, I think um, the moment, like for instance, on my MacBook, I, I have an Ethernet adapter on it, uh, Ethernet to Thunderbolt, because that's the way I can get the absolute max out of my gigabit Ethernet. But I can still do 600 megabit just using Wi-Fi, so I don't need it. It's just I can max it out if I need to. You know, if, if I'm, if I'm uh, doing, doing a, basically if I'm, I'm working on a, a big project and need to data ring
0: really fast. One thing I did really like about the Vision Pro was the little dial. Mm. So for the AR, the augmented reality, we can actually see the surroundings around you, not completely immersed in what would be normally classed as the VR part. So I can see the room I'm sitting in if I turn the dial one way, but then I can incrementally turn it the other way and then start s- slowly immersing myself in the VR world. Now, I thought that was pretty neat. Some of the demos were interesting, but it's not I haven't seen before elsewhere. Like, you well, can watch a movie on a 100-inch screen. Well, you can kind of do that already. Yeah, the, and the, the, cool,
1: the cool stuff will be what the actual developers come up with by the time it's released. Because remember, it's not released yet. It's just yes. it's a preview. And the, the couple of the, the cooler bits on it were the fact that if someone walks into your, into your room, it will add them in. So you're not suddenly surprised by someone tapping you on the shoulder, and likewise, if you bring your hands up, they suddenly become part of the scene. So again, you you can interact with it a lot better than you can with current sort of VR stuff. Is is the Siri the anyway? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of things like that. The the killer app for it, that from what I've seen so far, is the the 3D video recording, um, and, and playback. Uh, and as long as that can be output to another 3D. TV sort of thing. This is why 3D TVs failed. There just wasn't the kind of cool way of using it kind of thing. You had to rely on the film companies. And I jokingly said when it was out that this is the porn adoption feature. You know, because while there are 3D video cameras available for people to use, it's it's the whole kind of thing of, you know how there's a thing of the porn industry has a habit of suddenly spotting something, technology-wise and adopting it, and then everyone ends up adopting it because there's so many of them being used. Uh, you know, basically, VHS versus Betamax, that was one of the, the, the critical points on that one, and um, even FireWire, uh, the digital video cameras with FireWire, that, was, that was suddenly took off because of that. But suddenly, you don't have to use a, an expensive film camera to record your Home movies. You, you can <laughs> you can use a cheap little video camera and, and it dumps it straight straight to your your MacBook. You know it's like wow, that's really cool. And uh, anything like that, where suddenly you can cut the cost of an amateur movie and and have this cool feature, is, is something that can get adopted very fast.
0: Absolutely, uh, granted that they've brought a lot of hardware technology together. Hmm. They've obviously not been fearful of the overall cost of the thing, which other vendors and VR headsets would be right now, because they're looking for a much bigger market rather than specifically the developers, the pros, as you rightly point out. But is those Apple third-party devs that uh, will make or break this thing? It really is. If there's going to be a successor to it, it's going to be what apps can be yeah made. There'll be the next some. There'll months. be
1: some killer apps. I bet you're there. You know, there'll be some. Someone's got some really good ideas for it. But the um, and again, because we've all been practicing for a few years now with ARKit uh, and so on, there's a lot of development already been done. So we're not going into it like it was with the 64-bit Jaguar. With here's some new tools that no one knows how to use and some technology that no one knows how to use. Please, please come up with something in time for the release. We've actually, I mean, we've been doing this for five years or so now. The, the developers have been working on the health kit and so on, and it's not far off that. And it's like, oh yeah, I can just modify this to do this. It, it, it's gonna. That's gonna be an important key sort of thing for for that. Um, and the other, I mean, the, the expense of it is simply because the, the stuff they put in it. The screens alone, are, someone would calculate the screens are probably eighty percent of the price. You know, because they are just. Like postage stamp 4K screens that nobody makes because they're insanely expensive to make. But for something like this, that's actually a practical call. And then when they become more mainstream, those screens will be a lot cheaper to make.
0: Well, I'm I love some of the ideas behind it. Don't get me wrong. I've never got into the whole headset technology thing. I struggled to get behind 3D televisions because it was an exce- I didn't want to wear something to experience something yeah holding the yeah. controller for some reason just feels natural i guess it's like driving a car you have a steering wheel so it's just natural to therefore have something there to control something with but wearing glasses which what put me off 3d tvs i'm sure a lot of people and i think even if you wore glasses you didn't want to wear a set which you have to get, get a prescription for that which had to be adapted for, and etc. etc.
1: Yeah, I actually had a a modified set of cinema 3D glasses that were modified to be 2D glasses for 3D cinema because basically you've got a polarized lens in each one. The polarization is north south in one, east west in the other. And 3D films in the cinema are awful if you're not 2020 vision, and also if they're badly done. I think I was watching. It's actually one of the Star Trek films. And there's Klingons talking in the Star Trek film. So they subtitle in English, because not that many of us actually do speak Klingon.
0: kapla yeah.
1: But because it's 3D, the, the, the problem with the 3D projection of 3D films is it all tends to be in the centre of the screen. And the focus wanders as you go off the edge of the screen. So the subtitles are all blurry. And because it's never quite perfect, I came out of it with a migraine. Um, and I just really did not like it. So I did get a second set of uh, 3D glasses from the cinema and just swapped the lenses. So I've now got them both polarised the same way. So I could go in and watch a 3D film with my mates and just see it in glorious 2D because it only shows every other frame. Wow. And and, and there were a lot of people doing that because there's this problem that a lot of films came out that you had to watch, but you could only watch them in 3D because that was the big thing and fortunately that went away because it was rubbish
0: <laughs> well amazingly this... years ago now wasn't it
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. quite a back. while ago yeah.
0: yeah i mean it blew in my mind that the second avatar and obviously it was the first avatar that brought this whole new wave of 3d again including the tv space the second avatar of course is in 3d but they've actually released the 3d blu-ray Mm. Which I thought was pretty spectacular. So, if you're one of those people who got a 3D TV, hey, there's new content. I thought that yeah. was pretty good. To, but I, I, I saw don't know it, how many come I, out still, but that was certainly a notable yeah. one.
1: I mean, I, I saw it listed on Disney Plus, and this is like a I'm not watching this. I just do not have the time to watch this film because the first one was bad enough. But uh, they actually list it on Disney Plus as, as available in IMAX. And I, I get the impression that if you do happen to have an IMAX screen at home and a Disney Plus subscription, you can put it on, up in IMAX format. <laughs>
0: Yeah, all the all the IMAX thing really. I mean, it makes it sound like it should be as tall as three double decker buses, but right, really, really, means is you're not getting the usual cinema black borders on all the scenes. That when the IMAX yeah. cameras actually used, it's filling all of the screen of the TV usually, or yeah. at least most of it. What
1: What's actually in those IMAX cameras is it's an old four three camera, like TV camera, basically in a big box that looks with an IMAX logo on it, and yeah. they're just filming everything in four <laughs> three.
0: Which is uh, four three is certainly an aspect ratio It'll take us back many years into the past. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, there's been a whole annoyance about the whole IMAX thing because they're doing that on Disney Plus, but a lot of the 4K Ultra HDs that Disney do never have this IMAX version. Also, what I found quite annoying is the Disney ones will often be in HDR standard on the 4K Blu-ray, but you can get Dolby Vision on Disney+, Plus. or if you buy it digitally. And also, if you get the 4K Blu-ray, you'd hope for a lossless audio format. So usually it's something like Dolby True HD with Atmos. Nope. For a lot of the Disney ones, it's Dolby Digital+, Plus, which it can also deliver Dolby Atmos, but it's a lossy format. Hmm. so you often think if i'm buying the disc this is going to be the most premium experience but most likely not because you don't probably always get dolby vision unlike the digital counterpart and you're probably not getting true hd that's my moan over gents (laughs) 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 but the 4k blu-ray market does seem to be suffering and the digital market does seem to be playing far more of a stronger part to play whether it's a subscription service like disney plus or whether you're actually just buying the film digitally, which is more like a rental, long term, in, in the hope that they never go bust one day.
1: Hmm. Yeah, again, it's it's all convenience. Convenience is the is the winning factor on any of these sort of things. You know, i I have I, having moved a lot, um, I, I got through the problem of I have too many books. You know, in the if I every time I move, I'm having to move like a, two tons of books and pack them all up in the boxes and physically move them myself usually. And CDs I never play because I've already ripped them to to you know to, to MP3. DVDs that I never play because I've either already ripped them to, to to MP4 to play, or more likely I've already got them on a streaming service. You know, and and they just take up space, and space is something that that is the anti-convenience nowadays whereas i can i can just search for it and this that's the only thing that bugs me about netflix netflix is the only streaming service that will not allow it to link to to tv plus so all the other streaming services i can go to tv plus and search on it and it will actually give me yeah this is on prime this is on you know this is on disney plus this is on so on and it will just take you straight to it netflix because they don't like apple won't do that they won't let you do that so you know but net netflix is busy kind of shooting themselves in the foot on annoying their customers anyway so
0: <laughs> they are indeed and that's the problem, the problem with these
2: streaming services they keep stop the you know, they'll license stuff for a bit and then it'll disappear so we yeah, actually gone back annoying. to buying stuff we're buying blu-rays yeah. now because we don't trust oh, right. anybody anymore yeah i mean in fact we'd, I, uh, and i will buy 4k discs if they're not stupidly expensive which they usually are so I think 4K is only failing in the market because it's, the discs are too expensive. They, should, they, should, they still there's some sort of 80s sort of mindset somewhere saying, oh, look, we can charge a premium for this, even though it only costs, say, penny to, to print them, you know. So, you know, well, fix the prices and, and 4K would be fine.
0: Yeah, generally, yeah. it's £25 for a new 4K Blu-ray disc. Yeah, Whereas if joke. you buy it digitally, it's usually about 14 Ooh. Yeah, so I mean,
2: you know, the cost of goods is only is only, as I say, two and penny, So, but it's just a ripoff. But it, the, yeah. the, I think I think there's pushback against streaming services actually because this stuff you just can't trust. It, it just disappears. The amount the amount of songs yeah. I've got pro- I used to listen to on on Spotify, and and now suddenly they're all dropping off my um, my 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 four million song long playlist that that because there's some licensing agreements somewhere has expired. You know. Screw all cool. yeah. uh, I'll go back to buying them on, on discs. Thanks very much.
1: Hmm. I mean, there's um, uh, what's it Star, Star, Trek, Star Trek Prodigy is one of the ones on Disney Plus that's been can. This, this is the other one that bugged me. Netflix has been more of a problem with this. You get into a series and they can it because it wasn't in the top 10 within a week of it launching. They have some magic formula behind the scenes of it didn't get 100 million down Views within so many days of us announcing it, we don't care about it anymore. Can cancel it, and it, it, there's some, They've actually done some really good series on that. And Disney Plus is kind of not not for the same reasons. I think they're they're merging. I think with some other other one, and um, they've decided to streamline and cut cut some costs. And Star Trek Prodigy, which is actually quite a good animation, it's um, a kid a kids Star Trek series. About a bunch of um, kids, various alien kids who are slaves on this mining planet, who end up with um, in 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 a Federation ship um, with uh, Captain Janeway's hologram as their cap, as their advisor, and it's a classic kids. It, it's pretty good as a sort of grown up one. It's, it's done really well. So there's a there's a big campaign to um, get it at least onto another streaming service or something. Because it's it's well worth it. It's, it's good, but it's it's disappointing that Disney Plus have decided now it's not worth us throwing money at it anymore. We're we're cancelling it. It's not quite big enough.
0: Is that Paramount Plus?
1: No, no, Disney Plus.
0: Disney Plus.
1: Was oh, it Disney Plus or no Paramount Plus? Sorry, yes, wrong one. Yep. I'm thinking wrong one. Sorry, sorry, Disney. I have muddled no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus is just weird. It's like you've got some really good Star Trek stuff on there and a couple of other good series and the rest of it is junk. It's just awful stuff, you know. I, I mean, it's, but the stuff they have that's on there that's good is just about keeping me subscribing. But then then they start cancelling the odd extra series that actually I was watching. And, and um, yeah, it's a bit of a pain but then then you've got things like Lower Decks which because it was done before Paramount Plus is still on Amazon uh, so you, and and the weird thing is with, with Strange New Worlds there's actually a Lower Decks crossover episode so i think you're going to end up in this situation where you've got to have Paramount Plus to watch the Strange New Worlds episode and trying to watch the the, the, the Lower Decks episode that crosses over i don't oh, know exactly word. how that's going to work yeah
0: I am just glad the last season of Star Trek Picard was actually watchable, <laughs> because the yeah, first they, two they, seasons it were was, terrible. It
1: was pure fan service, but it was rather fun. Yeah, that was, that was the thing, and it did set them up for some good future stuff potentially. Oh, uh, and, and the other, one, going back back to Disney Plus, is Disney Plus revived the Orville, which is another one that's you know, I, I love the Orville. I think it's brilliant.
0: That has yeah, become more fun. Star Trek than Star Trek now.
1: Well, yeah, because because he. He obviously loved Star Trek, you know, when, when, they, when he wrote the Orville, you kind of get the impression that the network said, basically, you're the guy who wrote Family Guy, you want to do a Star Trek type series, it's got to be very Family Guy humour. So he started the first season with the whole Family Guy annoying humour. And it's gradually, gradually got more and more proper sci-fi Star Trek. But He's basically taking the Star Trek utopian kind of you know, federation universe kind of thing. Like, yeah, but what if you put normal
0: people in? You know, it? Yeah, and it works great. Yeah. No, like you say, you go from season one and it's like, joke every five seconds, joke every five seconds, giggity. And then you get to season three and then it's yes. almost like watching Star Trek with just some little bits of humor dropping in here and there. Yeah, it and a, it's almost like... Tropic. It's proper Star Trek. Is that what's going yeah. on? It's better than the Star Trek. Yeah. The modern ones now, which, yeah. is granted, is a low cliff, bar.
1: Proper cliffhangers and you know and, and drama and actual, actually some proper sci-fi thought with humour. I mean, bringing Dolly Parton in was like, that was, you know. Someone who hasn't watched The Orville hearing that will go, what the? You know? Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> Context is everything, but Dolly Parton is brilliant in it. <laughs> well if
0: they do a season four, can I just request to the the writers, the producers, everyone who's involved with that show to just heed my words, please no more stories on the Bloody Doctor and the robot's romance <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think they, yeah. we've
0: I think overdone it, it now. <laughs> one episode was fine. we didn't need what was it three, four, five? It feels like episodes where we keep delving back into their relationship, which is a bizarre thing, Tony. I would say watch it, but you'll probably bash me with your heavy Steam Deck, so I'll probably not recommend <laughs> But uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All you yeah, need to know, my friend, is that they spent far too many episodes with a love interest, with a doctor who is full of emotions, and then this robot who's got none. And he has no concept of romance. He wants to do his best Logically, for this lady who has whatever the equivalent, it's a bit like Data in Star Trek when he was having his early romances. And 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 both both
1: of them are back to the original iRobot stories. There's actually stories in iRobot that actually obviously influenced all of these. So, so you know, there's, um, you know, it's it's, it's a classic, um, you know, trope of robot sci fi kind of stuff. Um, Absolutely. from, From way back. But uh, no, no, it's it's well worth. It. If you can make it through the first series without being too annoyed, it's very good. Yeah, and there are there are great characters in it as well. They've, they've done a great job on on the characters.
0: Indeed, absolutely. And it's interesting how we've been talking about the whole digital and the physical thing when it comes to media. I'm kind of using both. So I was up until very recently signed up to Disney Plus. But there's only so much Disney one man can take before you Disney down. <laughs> I love the music and a lot of the films and everything, but like how many times do I want to rewatch these shows to make use of this subscription? I'll just buy the 4K Blu ray because you can get them for about three quid if you keep an eye out on Amazon. And you got it forever. Which is why I know about the Dobby Digital Plus thing and the lack of Dolby Vision. But regardless, I then also, of course, have Apple Music for my stream of music i'd love spotify's interface and compatibility but it's still not got bloody lossless audio come on spotify announce this what was it 2021 february um so i've got apple music for that and then i've got my physical 4k discs and all my blu-rays my dvds video cds (laughs) (laughs) video (laughs) cds are ripped for use on my plex server so i've got 18 terabytes of storage just with movies and music on there which and music's been ripped losslessly from cds and that's like my own media storage but then of course to be sure i've had to make sure i've got a backup for this 18 terabytes i've had to have another 18 terabytes to mirror and it's like god blimey how many years of subscription service could I have had for this? Instead yeah. of, but at least I know it's my content. It's always there, and that's the bloody Plex server dies, which it had, did do recently, but that's because the hard drive <laughs> failed internally, but that's another story. But still, at least I know it's my content. It's sat there. I can stream it. You know, if I'm in another country, if as long as my internet connection there is okay and the path to it, I can watch any of the movies I've got, listen to the music I've got, if they supported the modern photo formats, I'd watch all my photos on there, but they don't support the latest. Mm, so annoying. But anyway, that's another podcast on itself using Plex. But still, you know, you can sort of dip into all these universes and get pleasure out of it. But it does take a lot of sort of experience and training to like experiment with these things. So quickly going to Apple. Use Apple Music because they're lossless title has losses but it's much more expensive and they use that bloody mqa format that's another conversation altogether as well but um i do use apple that their movies so often their 4k movies will drop down tremendously in price you can get for three or four quid and maybe on 4k blu-ray still 15 18 and it's like well it's it's not a blockbuster film, there's not a lot of things moving around where it might affect the compression, I'll buy it for four quid. And digitally, that's absolutely fine. There's always a risk, but I'm hoping that with Apple's mega billions, trillions of income and savings, goodness assets, whatever you want to call it, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. But their video compression and audio is actually one of the best of the Various services. Amazon was fairly average. Google was fairly average. This is going back a few years when I last was sort of dabbling with this, but that's been my experience.
1: Yeah, at least with the um, app with Apple Movies, when you're buying them, you can download them for offline play, which means you can. It doesn't matter whether Apple goes bust or not, as long as you've got something will play it, it'll play.
0: Won't it check the DRM though online at some point? No,
1: Apple Apple doesn't do that. If you bought it, you bought it. Ooh. Amazon does. Amazon will delete books off your Kindle if they if they lose the rights to them <laughs> whereas A- Apple's thing is if they lose the rights to it that that's tough for the rights holder but you've already bought it so it's yours so the DRM will not disable it and they made that very clear in the very very early days of iTunes um but that was that was the, the rules because before before it was all before it became um you know streaming service and it was you bought you are buying songs they wanted to make it very clear you were buying songs which uh, you know which is i think one of the, again one of the key convenience points and it's all again it's back to the whole convenience and making it easy to understand
0: so why did you rip me music in mp3s <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well back back again back when itunes was first out yeah, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of the because the apple's thing was coming at it, it was we want this to be convenient for the customers and for them to have the music at a reasonable price. So we want to be able to sell singles. The music industry, no, no, we want to sell albums. We do not want to allow, to allow people to just buy the singles they want because we won't make lots of money. So a lot of bands were like, no, I'm not putting my album on there or I'm only putting the boring tracks of the album on there, you know, the ones that no one wants. And the actual singles one, they have to go out and physically buy an album and, and so on. So, of course, the rest of us like, well, iTunes lets you rip stuff off CDs you own. I'm doing that, <laughs> and and again, they made it easy to do, which is the point of it, you know, and and as it's progressed more to streaming, I think they only shifted to streaming once they had every pretty much everyone who was important signed up, you know, because they knew it's not a problem of oh, actually can't get this guy. There's still a few people not on there, but oh yeah, yeah, there's a few. There's the odd holdout, but
0: um yeah it's only a matter of time because i don't think they can risk not being on there after a certain while otherwise it become almost irrelevant but uh the, the the last thought maybe of the podcast one of the things that makes me smile about this whole thing is i remember ripping my very first mp3 on a 486 pc and I encoded this beautifully small file. And I was so impressed. It was so small. I thought, this is beautiful. I can have, even on my very small hard drive, which was one gigabyte at the time. And that was upgraded from a 400 megabyte. It could not play the MP3 back without stuttering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to wait till I got a Pentium before I could actually play the darn thing back. Our technology has come on. You think of all the things that can easily, without even thinking about it, can play an MP3. But my 486 BC, my first ripping of a CD experience, it could not do it without stuttering the playback. And on that thought, yeah, yeah. gentlemen, yeah. for yeah. another Game and Gadget on. podcast, thank you to Tony. Thank you to Aaron. And we'll see you next time. Thanks,
1: guys. That fun.